Support for this podcast comes from Blackline and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Rich Antonek, CFO of Veritex Legal Solutions, and you're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 239. How are you driving change within your organization? Hello, finance thought leaders. Think about it. Is there any one business leader perhaps more influential than a CFO when it comes to how an organization is established or evolves over time? Financial processes have long supplied the organizational commonality and the standards that allow fast-growing businesses to expand in a thoughtful and careful manner. With this episode, we'll be sharing discussions with three different CFOs, each one narrowing their lens with us on this subject of organizational execution. We've titled this episode CFO as Organizational Architect. You'll be hearing from our first CFO, Robert Carnag, of Punchbowl Social right after these words from our sponsor. Many accounting and finance professionals are facing a sizable obstacle these days. In this age of data enlightenment, their financial close processes leave no time for data analysis. The very activity that opens the door to new opportunities and career advancement. Blackline has the answer. By automating, centralizing, and streamlining financial close operations, Blackline customer organizations are now ready for the data-centric world, allowing their finance and accounting professionals to open the door to new opportunities. To learn more, visit blackline.com forward slash CFO. We're back, and we begin with Rob Kornog of Punchbowl Social. Now, Rob's company is a startup. He'll be followed by a middle market CFO, and then we have a large enterprise CFO. We think you'll find each of these discussions of interest, and each one clearly reveals in our mind the CFO as organizational architect. Here's Rob. You know, we're we're food and beverage. We're a restaurant. So if you go to if you go to Punchbowl, uh, odds are you're going to eat something. So you know, we live in a world that's that's pretty competitive. There are lots of good places to go this to these days uh, and spend your entertainment dollar. But I think what's really unique about Punchbowl and our approach is that word I just used, which was entertainment. Um, we believe our competitive advantage is what we call our three-component DNA. Our food, you know, we have a scratch kitchen delivering what we feel is a very competitively priced and very high-quality food product. Our beverage, we run a craft cocktail program, and our entertainment, where we we serve all of this in an environment uh, where you can engage in, you know, old school games and the timeless appeal of things like bowling and ping pong and shuffleboard. So we think we are really the only firm out there right now, the only food and beverage company that's delivering a great product across all three of these areas, food, beverage, entertainment, and that really adds up to a unique experience for our customers. So where is this happening geographically? So we are in Denver, which was the first location, Portland, Austin, and Detroit. 
you'll see us opening in Cleveland in the second quarter, and we will be in the Chicago market um, probably eh, hopefully by the end of the year. And, you know, we have plans to, you know, take the current base of four and add 10 to 12 units, you know, over the course of the next, you know, call it three years. How sizable a piece of property does one of these? Yeah, we are, well, we reside in different kinds of buildings, but the, the reality is, is by the time you throw in some bowling lanes, it takes up a bit of space. So right now, you know, the, the, I don't know that there is a typical punch bowl because they are so unique to the spaces in which they reside. But you're looking at a 25,000 plus or minus square foot uh, square foot footprint. Yeah, so Denver is approximately 24,000 square feet, including the mezzanine. Uh, Detroit is approximately 24, 25, including the mezzanine. Um, Austin's a, a touch smaller because it doesn't have a mezzanine. Uh, our Chicago, uh, which is going to be in Bucktown, we're very excited about, uh, is going to be on the larger side. Uh, that's going to be 27,000 square feet, approximately s- spread out over three floors. So when, when you're looking at growing this business, what are, the, what are the key metrics that you're paying close attention to? You know, it's it's funny, you know, even in a business that, you know, is essentially based on a personal taste, you know, how was dinner? Um, you know, we use a lot of metrics. And having had experience in a lot of industries, you know, that really doesn't make us unique. What is unique is, you know, every industry has its own metrics. Uh, and from my perspective, the key is to identify the ones that make the biggest difference uh, in your business. So at Punchbowl, you know, we try to focus on those that really highlight the intersection between the financial and the customer. So what do I mean by that? I'll give you an example. Labor. We look at labor as a percent of, you know, what it is we're selling. Percentage, you know, specific percentage on a cost of goods sold basis. Well, labor can be high, in which case, yeah, maybe your general managers are, you know, we're, we're wasting a little money on the P&L because we're not uh, scaling the labor force. But, but labor can also be too low. If labor gets through too low on the downside, you know, we're probably not going to be able to meet our core service standards. So there's an example of a, of a metric. You know, it's a pure metric, dollars spent on this in relation to the whole. But it also gives us insight into what's going on into the organization and its operations. You know, when, when you think of skill sets, we need strong folks across the organization. You know, when we open Cleveland, we're going to need a great general manager in Cleveland. And that's going to mean I'm going to need a little more support staff in the home office. And we will be adding a controller this year as our financial organization gets increasingly complicated. We're creating P&Ls for not only our units, but for our hold codes. You know, this is a simple time where I am finding it, it. I am finding that I have to spend more time than, quite frankly, I want to, going through and dealing with reviewed. You know, creating the reviewed financial statements with the accountants. You know, that's that's one sort of thing. I'm finding that my the junior professionals, quite frankly, need a little more mentoring, need a little more time, need a little more teaching when it comes to some of the intricacies of the balance sheet. As we continue to build at such an aggressive rate, 
you know, having a controller on board, you know, quite frankly means that everything's going to get into the right bucket the first time uh, instead of, okay, well, we can fix that, but that's wrong right now. None of these things are, are, you know, none of these things are fatal. They're all fixable. Some of them are just better practices. But quite frankly, you know, as I said earlier, it's resources. I would have loved to have done this six months ago. But quite frankly, the, you know, the business wasn't quite in a position where, you know, let's just say we needed to get Detroit open in order for it to make the right, for it to be the right time. Okay, next you'll be hearing from Mozam Ali Shah, CFO of Gulf Union Foods Company of Saudi Arabia. Now, Shah, as our other uh, CFOs do in this episode, begins with a nice overview of Gulf Union's business before segueing sort of into the organizational discussion. Gulf Union Foods, he characterizes at the time of this interview being roughly around a $200 million company, so it is a, a middle market weight class of company. But here's Mozam. Gulf Union Foods Company is a group of companies. Uh, we are headquartered here in, in Riyadh in Saudi Arabia. We have got presence all over in the kingdom. We, we also have presence in terms of distribution facilities and selling facilities in uh, the entire Middle East. So we, we control the GCC market through our branches that we operate in UAE, based out in Dubai, in Jordan, and in Egypt. Our total sales in a year is more than 200 million US dollars. We have three manufacturing facilities based out here in Riyadh. So I am also I also work out of uh, Riyadh, uh, based in the headquarters. And uh, we have, in terms of business, we have more than 250 SKUs, which are products primarily beverages of different packaging types and different packaging sizes. Uh, we deal in carton packs, we deal in glass bottles, we deal in cans, and we deal in the plastic bottle, which we call, which we call PET bottles. In our industry segment, what we have seen is that consumers are moving away from uh, consuming CSDs and they are uh, preferring the long life of the fresh juices instead because of the health reasons, obesity and, and diabetes and so on. Now our competitors are uh, names like Al Morai, which operates here in Saudi Arabia and all over in, in the GCC in the Middle East and we've got a couple of them, a couple of other names as well. Now in terms of our market size and our market share, we are number two in the market. We don't compete with the uh, with the companies or the beverage manufacturers who are, who deal in fresh juices, we actually deal strictly in the long life juices, and our shelf life the shelf life of our product is uh, between nine and ten months. So in our niche market or in our industry sector, we are in terms of the market size, we are number two here in uh, in Saudi Arabia. So let's find out a little bit about your your finance team when you arrived there. Were there certain finance positions that you uh, wanted to fill immediately? Uh, when I started with Gulf Union, uh, you know there was there was no ERP. Uh, majority of the operations were recorded on manual basis in Excel worksheets. Now, as a real life example, uh, the time when I took over, the entire finance organization did not have any clear demarcation of 
roles and responsibilities among their individuals. And uh, most of them uh, would do things on ad hoc basis. So the first thing I did was to split the finance organization into three broader divisions i.e. I have a, a separate function for financial reporting, a separate function for uh, treasury and cash management, a separate function for management reporting and, uh, and planning. So then I ident- identify the skill set of the individuals and place them into, into the right jobs in these three functions and uh, organize trainings where I, wherever I thought they were required. Now, the result of this was a significant reduction of time that it would take to get the financials out at the month end, and also it improved the accuracy and reliability of the data produced by finance. Now, historically, finance was viewed as a back office function with a handful of old school accountants and whose job was to annoy the rest of the company by asking trivial questions on their expense claim. You know, or to get the historical financials out 20 days after the close of the previous month, uh, when the information would be completely obsolete to be used for any corrective uh, measures. My my objective was clear. I wanted to change the impression of the finance from back office number crunchers to the valued business partner. Now the priorities had to be changed from uh, uh, you know as far as my staff was concerned. Thought Leader listeners, don't go anywhere. We have more of our interview after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Okay, finally, we have a large enterprise CFO for you, Taryn Chopra of Clements Worldwide. Once more, our CFO guest provides a nice overview of the business before segueing with us into the organizational discussion. You'll be hearing my voice first as I engage Taryn. So, Tarun, can you describe for us the current uh, competitive landscape for Clements' products and solutions now? And what is what is the competitive edge that Clements has here? Sure. Uh, Clements Worldwide is actually been in business for over 67 years uh, at this point in time. Uh, it is one of the world's leading insurance solutions and risk management providers, um, working with customers in over 170 countries. And because of the fact that we work with individuals and organizations operating, uh, for the most part, outside their home country, our, our work is really very unique. Um, there are only, uh, literally only a handful of companies that focus and specialize on in international insurance solutions as Clements does. Um, and, and, and that in itself is an achievement. Um, and because over the past several years, the world has seen increasing economic and political instability, which makes the protection and solutions that we provide to clients more important than ever. So as I mentioned that uh, having been in business over 65 years, 
the team at Clements has obviously developed a deep understanding of international risks uh, and the kind of exposures both individuals and businesses should consider when operating in a world that is becoming increasingly volatile. Um, so to support our clients, we're able to provide insurance coverage from everything from health insurance to high-risk kind of protections like kidnap and ransom, as well as uh, political risk insurance. So this expertise, along with the depth of you know, senior leaders, leaders including myself, uh, who have a significant amount of international experience, both professionally as well as personally, and uh, has, has helped us truly understand the needs of our clients. So uh, let's understand here. Part of what Clements uh, offers its clients is uh, solving this pro a lot of the problems that are often due to using overseas local adjusters. Um, there seems to be a lot of links in the chain sometimes when it comes to offering these types of solutions. Now, am I right about that? It seems like you want to uh, simplify the claims process. Well, it's 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 more the, the kind of insurance solutions that Clements provide is more on the, the business risk side. So, so we help the businesses better understand the, the kind of exposure that they have and the level of exposure that they have uh, while they're operating in either a high-risk uh, country or a region of the world or the, uh, the conflict zones uh, around the world. Uh, the, the part about claims and, and adjusting claims is more of a back-end activity, which is what we help the businesses with, and that's part of the value proposition that, that you know, as we provide those insurance solutions to them, uh, depending on their need, whenever an event occurs and, and they, need, um, they need support uh, post-occurrence of the event, we're able to provide that on a global basis. Now, what did you have to do? You arrived there, and what did you have to do to begin moving the organization more in the direction you wanted? And did you reorganize your finance team? Uh, sure. And, uh, and I think the, the best way to answer this question is to split it up in, in two parts. The, the first is the challenge with the organization uh, or things I had to do as far as the organization was concerned. And then the second part is specific to the finance team. The, as far as the organization is concerned, the, the best and the most effective way to make an organization move in a direction you want or you think is the right direction to move is to ensure that everybody uh, and, and every stakeholder is on the same page as far as the company strategy is concerned. I cannot stress the importance of communication and alignment. Uh, and the only way you get alignment is to be very, is to very clearly and concisely communicate to the stakeholders what's in it for them. And, and this is where the analytical skills of a CFO comes in. Uh, a good CFO should be able to characterize and quantify the, the corporate strategy, as well as present the information uh, to the audience in a meaningful manner, which is understandable to the audience. And that is what I did, and that, that was the challenge. Uh, and so making sure that the strategy was, was well understood, well received, and then I had alignment from uh, or agreement from the stakeholders to implement on it. So that's at, the, that's at the organization strategic level. As far as the finance team is concerned, 
just to give you some context, when I came to Clements, <laughs> the company had been without a CFO for almost one year and was running a skeletal staff, which ensured that all bills were paid and the lights were on. Uh, so I basically had no choice but to reinvent the finance organization. The first and foremost thing was to uh, find a strong accounting individual uh, to, to lead the accounting department. The, the reason for that is the baseline of any good finance organization is true and complete accounting. Unless you have correct financials, you fail the basic requirements of finance. So I had to I had to get the right accounting staff in place quickly, and and so so that's the foundation, that's the base. The next stage is what I call the value creator stage of finance, and the the, the strategic objective of any finance organization should be to facilitate the business in making better decisions, uh, and and effective decision making requires analytical firepower. So. The, the next stage uh, is was to build the analytical capability of the organization, and uh, and and to do that, I had to then hire uh, individuals who were very strong in analytics and who had this customer focus. In parallel, I worked on the treasury and banking reorganization, and but but surrounding it all, and probably the most important aspect of uh, of that finance job was I had to work on the culture and motivation levels of the finance organization because you need to make sure that your entire team is, is motivated and dedicated to delivering the results that you expect from them. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. At CFO Thought Leader, we wanted to give you the listener, some added clout when it comes to selecting next season's CFO guests. We call it Listener's Choice. And in the months ahead, our Listener's Choice guests will enjoy some added box office clout as we advance the CFOs you most want to hear from into next season's CFO lineup. To learn more about CFO Thought Leader's Listener's Choice, visit us at cfothoughtleader.com or go ahead and email me at jack at cfothoughtleader.com. Hey, one last thing. It's no secret when we originated CFO Thought Leader, it was with iPhone users in mind. Android users, we have neglected you. And so to make amends, we just released a CFO Thought Leader mobile app just for you. It's now ready for download on Google Play and Amazon Android Markets. No matter what world you're part of, thank you for listening.